And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we are back. This is episode 190. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Damone Carter, aka Dim One. We are a two-man weave today. I am joined by Mr. Nate LeBlanc. What's happening, man? I'm good. Uh, it's not really my place to say, but I've heard that no one likes a cheap weave. So, you know, the two-man weave is just not as good as the three-man weave. But it, we it make really do. Isn't. It really isn't, but we bring a lot of human hair to the party, uh, which is very <laughs> important for the weave game, if you know about the weave game. So we are here. Dave is um, on assignment. He's got his class he teaches at San Jose State is coming up on finals time. So he's steadily giving kids Fs for <laughs> not knowing the words to a uh, juicy. And then <laughs> we are here doing what we do on the podcast, talking about the rap music, which this weekend I had a moment where I was like, I went to go see my son perform uh, at a, at a food truck event in Berkeley called foodie fest. I'm like, how is Nate not here? <laughs> um, you know we we don't have to take this detour because i want to hear about your son's show and everything but i don't like food trucks um i, you know I don't what? like eating from food trucks i don't like waiting in lines and i don't like that they are mostly based on like absurd over the top flavor balmy so fried you food concoctions so you haven't tasted the onion bomb which was <laughs> there was a line like it seemed like a bony line in georgia like it was just around the block for these onion bomb things something about drinking a juice from a baby bottle was super popular i didn't quite understand that i'm not a big food truck guy either um i think food trucks are appropriate only at about 3 a.m when you're like stumbling out of the club and you i've had the, that nourishment great experience for sure but um it's like you have all the problems of a kitchen now mixed with all the problems of a truck it's just like there's together. just a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of sloshing around of materials. There's they're constantly in the shop. Like it, it just it's just not my deal. So I, we ate at one at the festival. Mediocre. It was uh shout out to Tree Fort. There was some mediocre Thai food there. We are <laughs> we are in touch with the with the organizers about this travesty. But I went to Foodie Fest in Berkeley to uh see my son perform and he performed with he's part of a, a rap collective they've put together at college and, and they're doing their thing. Um, and it just to see a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds on stage um, just rapping. And I was like, isn't rapping great? Not to say I loved <laughs> all of their stuff, but I'm just like, ah, oh, rapping's great. People want to rap. People still want to rap. Rap is super relevant. It's a language of not only my childhood, but my son's childhood. And so I was very high on the culture. Also listen to The Alchemist, This Thing of Ours, part two this weekend. That's a good record. Such a good record. Uh, Bruiser Wolf's emergence continues. Um, and so, yeah, I was just really, really high on like, man, rapping is not only is rap in a really good place, but it's also really fun. Like rap is still fun. That's why rap I is still away. fun. I, I, I fully agree with that. And uh, I just one point of clarity. Last we spoke, uh, your son was like a pop punk 
artist. Yeah. He rapping yeah. now? He he is very much inspired by um, the modern day Shakespeare Playboy Cardi. Um, and so there's a lot of his he's still doing a, a punk inflected thing. He comes on stage. He's like, I'm the emo kid who whines over trap beats. <laughs> That's kind of his his lane. But essentially it's rapping like everybody's okay. even when they're singing. It's it's a rappy cadence. Um, it's all the techniques and uh, affectations of rap music. And so it made me kind of number one, go full circle. I'm like, oh, look at that. You know what I mean? Like the thing that I grew up loving to do um, and did not impart upon my child. He right. grew up as like a Blink-182 uh, kind of kid, but he's They always say Blink and you'll miss it, right? It's like... Well, Blink-182 times and then your son is... <laughs> you'll definitely miss it. His son is doing Playboy Cardi at a All festival. of a sudden... Well, I think it's kind of cool. He got booked for an out-of-town show. He's going to college in LA and playing in yeah. Berkeley and he's been there yeah. for like three weeks. Like, that's impressive seriously. to me. Yeah, seriously. He's like, oh, I'm, I got a show next week. And I'm like, ha-ha. Oh, Look word. at that. Yeah. A word. So I uh, definitely proud of him um, and, and what he's doing, but also just, you know, rap music continues to regenerate itself. Plenty of new artists, plenty of new records to check out. But on today's dad bod rap pod, we're going to take a look back uh, as we tend to do from time to time and talk about the greatest underground anthems. Now I am here with Nate LeBlanc, a.k.a. Sammy Semantics. So before we get into the conversation, we must always go to our glossary of terms. And Nate, I want to ask you, when we say underground rap anthem, what are we talking about? Well, this is a tough one because I'm going to quibble with one of your choices later. But um, it, it, if we were being purists, which we're not, <laughs> we would want to say like on released on an independent label or self-released as will be the case with some of these. And uh, Dante Ross was recently on a podcast. I believe it was um, can't knock the shuffle or another show that I'm, I'm getting the name wrong, but um, or not, not remembering where I heard this brilliant thing, but he Dante Ross had a definition of underground rap, which was two long verses instead of three sixteens and <laughs> rapping about rapping. Rapping about rapping. So those those parameters are very helpful here. But really, what I think is important for this kind of generational underground backpack ethos that we're talking about is things that inspired, uh, you know, people our age to like fall in love with hip hop and the, the kind of hip hop that was more critical of a capitalism or label system than it was a celebration thereof. So there's some loose, loose definitions and we can quibble about the label thing a little bit because yeah. a lot of rappers who I consider to be underground don't consider themselves to be underground Which because we will find out they yeah. got record label deals at a time. Like all the formative stuff we grew up on tribe, Mm -hmm. Early Souls of Mischief and mm -hmm. other Hyro acts that were signed to Jive, like mm -hmm. um, De La Soul. Um, mm -hmm. These were major label records at and a you, time. Yeah, for mm -hmm. a for a moment. So um, the Jungle Brothers, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. all these guys were on labels for a little bit, and then a lot of them went independent. So anyway, it's I'm gonna 
not quibble as much as I normally would. An underground anthem is whatever made you fall in love with the, what we call like the backpack aesthetic, like the, a rap for rap's sake, a cipher era, a cipher style of rapping, sure. a kind of real, like a dark moody beat with a kind of mind expanding lyrical canvas. If you can't wear a hoodie to it, it is not an underground rap anthem there, there's also kind of a thing going on where like an anthem you would think everyone would agree but that is not what this culture is about rap is <laughs> not like that if we all agreed it wouldn't be rap right yeah so we pose this question on twitter and we will share the responses at the tail end of the episode but we wanted to start with our own reflections on that question of what are our favorite underground rap anthems and to me not to quibble with the quibbler but to me when i think of underground rap anthem i'm thinking of a song that's almost low-key a mission statement about how you are supposed to go about this craft now in retrospect i don't even agree with all of the shit that people were saying but i love that there was a time and a place where cats felt it necessary to critique what was going on in mainstream hip hop to lay down some rules and parameters for a culture that doesn't have like a lot of written rules. So these songs in a sense, I knew when I started rapping were definitely a guidepost for how you should do this shit. And we're in a new era. We're in an era where everybody can do whatever the fuck they want to. There's no they... more selling out. That is not mm -mm. a concept that exists. You're happy for people if they get a placement or a licensing deal. Yeah, yeah. And that was definitely not part of the ethos at a time. And a lot of the songs we're about to talk about reflect that. We'll get into the art versus commerce thing maybe at another time. But let's go ahead and start breaking down what are our favorite underground rap anthems. Nate LeBlanc. I'm going to pass it to you. Give us number one. My first choice, the first song that came to my mind when you uh, threw this prompt out, not only to the people, but in our kind of like to get ready for the show today. Um, and I watched the Twitter thread very carefully. No one picked it, though. Wow. Uh, my, my man, John Sklut, got very close okay. by picking another Mystic Journeyman song. My pick, which is describes the underground ethos in violent terms. Okay. is Firefly Rebellion uh, from Worldwide Underground. And here's a little snippet of it. I'm independent. Independent as fuck. I could walk up to an a and and say, yo, what's up? Grab a pen, Mystic Journeyman. We want to sign you for 100,000. What you want to do? I kick that fool in the head with my shoe. How do you suppose I sell my life away to your host? And so uh, as you can hear, under no <laughs> circumstances would they be signing a label contract they were independent yes. as f word and uh they just like that that's what i thought being an underground rapper was about it was like about being like openly hostile to mm -hmm. like making money basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because this this music came along at a very formative time for me i we all grew up listening to the same stuff and then had a like long g-funk phase and then i was kind of getting over that and ready for something new and it was like hissy four track self-made insular um kind of bay area especially hip-hop that just like it was out to teach you out the trunk economics and was very successful in doing so and there's a whole culture and world of 
all the artists and side projects and cosigns and concert series and mixtapes and house parties and people and it's just it's it just really opened up a world that a world that i've been a part of ever since you know mostly as a um consumer mm-hmm, but now mm-hmm. that we have the show a little bit of you know part of like a media wing where it's like we talk about this stuff and we care about this stuff and we think this kind of music is important even though we don't listen to it anymore that's a great point and i want to i want to hone in a little bit on Mystic Journeyman, for folks who may not be as familiar, um, they are one of the cornerstone groups that helped form Living Legends, uh, Bay Area rap group. And at a time, their entire mission statement ethos was about being oppositional to the major label system, which at that time was a very radical stance to take. Prior to Mystic Journeyman and the movement that they created, they had a magazine, they had a, an event they did monthly, which I was uh, fortunate or unfortunate enough to perform at if you saw the venue. Um, they had this unsigned and hella broke movement that they were pushing out of the Bay Area. And they were just basically like, um, to get signed is, is whack. And this is what this culture is about. And really pushing it independently, which is a very Bay Area idea. So I... I'm also a little surprised nobody picked that, but shout out to John Skloot. Is it? It's Skloot, uh, who chimed in with Depths of Survival, which is my kind of mystic journeyman. Um, I'll, I'll go. Track. That's their, that's a better song, but it doesn't describe the independentness quite as well. As well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and then like for the, the really, the people who the five people who listening who I could probably name who care about this, my actual favorite track from Worldwide Underground in that era of all legends is right now. That to me is that's what my backpack sounds like when you open it. It's just like that's a freaking amazing, simple beat that just like has been looping in my head for like 20 years. Absolutely. And was a product of a of a place in the time that I was adjacent to and, and definitely appreciate. Uh, folks on Twitter bringing that back up and and you Nate uh, bringing a little mystic journeyman to the party I'll say my my first thought when I posed this prompt was a song by Razcast called Remain Anonymous let's hear a little clip since they get our only side gangs the rap backs don't get it twisted stereotyping by geography west coast syntax I think the five was the awesome the city north alone beats southwest the Compton so for me, this song definitely exemplifies uh, an underground anthem. It has a little bit of that um, selling out is whack vibe. It, it was the first song that I and many others had ever heard of Roscoe. So we were kind of like both blown away by the lyricism and also his very staunch stance that he was taking at that time even the song's title remain anonymous um leans towards this idea that blowing up in some ways and getting the deal which rappers had been seeking pretty much ever since sylvia robinson came on the scene was actually not the goal the goal was creating really dope music uh in and of itself and so that that track really resonated with me and really number one kind of um made me check for Raskaz going forward, but also kind of like really emboldened those of us who were pretty disillusioned with where mainstream rap was at the time. Um, 
the the you know the the 95 96 era there were a lot of corny kind of money grab type things with rap and to hear something like remain anonymous was so refreshing because he was like i know this shit is whack too and let's never do that um so and then you're gonna say uh it emboldened all of you and your friends to remain anonymous and it totally worked for us (laughs) that was no i was gonna say uh and then rascast was signed with dr dre like four years later i mean he he is such a good example of someone who came in just on fire lyrically mm -hmm. he was too good to be underground you know what I mean? It's like kind of like yeah. your whole your alcoholics fit this yeah. mold. Like you, you yeah. there's a lot of people who it's just like, man, you're like the underground king, but like you don't have to be underground. Like you can have the perks of a life where people do the work for you. Being an underground rapper is a lot. We've talked about this so many times on this show. You're doing admin. Like crazy. still, you know yeah, what I mean? And back then it used to mean Kinko's and tape duplication and CD burning yep. and stuff yep. like that. And now it means social media and uh, vinyl pressing and uh, Bandcamp Friday drops and stuff like that. It's like what it it just it has. You have no apparatus to help you push your music or make your music or sell your music. And that is time consuming. Yes. And it feels like a generation of rappers kind of came to that realization but we are talking about the era before they knew that, and they were still uh, focused on just creating these uh, these manifestos. Um, what's your number two? Uh, I went with one whose lyrical content does not spell out an underground ethos or give you a a, a roadmap to lifestyle. But it, I chose a song that is inescapable if you talk mm-hmm. about underground hip-hop it just it sounds like a dark basement show with blunt smoke in the air and everyone in there is like you know just blitzed out of their mind and head nodding in that kind of rhythmic Mm -hmm. uh thing you get into where everyone's on the beat and there's it's like this really magical thing about an underground hip-hop show that just doesn't happen that often and that is tried by 12 by Mm. east flatbush project absolutely which i mean i shouldn't even have to put the snippet you guys know that uh that sample but anyway um it's just such a an important song for so many different reasons it was um instantly made part of other people's performances it was often freestyled over um jurassic five famously would play the main melody on kind of like toy instruments in their show Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. ninja tune records did like a two lp uh remix album of this one song where all the big electronic artists took their stab at it square pusher wagon christ people like that it's just like it's crazy how influential that song is and then the dude spencer bellamy he's still in the business i think a little bit or has other projects but you kind of in a way if you're not a super duper pay attention type of person he he has never heard from again which in in that way makes it such an underground classic Mm. And it, it, mm. when we had uh, Yeshua from Saya and Yeshua on, and you guys know I hold that record in very high esteem, partly because, and I'm doing huge air quotes here because both him and Saya did other music, and Saya has a whole life outside of music, and Yesh is now the homie, and I really respect him and his MC abilities. But like 
in one manner of speaking, if you're not paying attention to all these side projects and 12 inches and Yesh's, you know, vegan cooking and shoe account, <laughs> it's like it's like they never did anything again. And it's like that's why that's such a great EP is it just came and bubbled and it's so good. It's of the highest quality for mm-hmm. underground hip hop. And then they disappear. And that's how things remain underground. You can't be underground if you're super popular when you come out. Right. That's right. not what right. being underground is. And you guys have all heard my theoretical. Are you underground? or are you unpopular uh, kind of uh, dialectic that we talk about on this show every couple of months. But anyway, I'm babbling at this point. The point is tried by 12 yes. generational anthem. Yes. If you're making a documentary about underground hip hop and you don't play this beat for 30 seconds, you have failed in your task. Like this is what <laughs> underground hip hop sounds like. Do you agree? Absolutely. I agree that the beat is the sound of a place and a time that that is directly tied you know what the funny part is though tribe by 12 actually espouses um kind of a gangster aesthetic that a lot of the underground rap anthems were actually kind of wagging their finger at i don't know if i agree with that he's saying he'd rather go to court than die to court no it's the other way around he'd rather be tried by 12 he'd rather have a jury trial right right, carried by six be dead he, so he's saying, I would rather shoot you first rather than be shot. And then, you know, he's like, I'll take the consequences of shooting you first. Interesting. Okay. All of all of this, all of this falls under the category of uh, shit that De La Soul was telling you that you probably shouldn't be doing on stakes right. as high. Right. You know right, what I'm right. saying? So I do. I, I do. I kind of I kind of feel like it's this interesting uh, dichotomy juxtaposition that um is only made possible by that fucking beat yeah that that beat is generational that beat is it's inescapable and it's the epitome of underground as you said because it was brief unknown in some ways but ubiquitously popular and i feel like i feel like he chose a really good moniker for that one like east flatbush project like uh, you have to pick that 12 up right you have to it's a very nondescript looking record, but you know, it's yeah. basically just like white on black text. You could like design it in Microsoft word or someone probably did. Yeah. And it's just word like, but you, you would have, if you, if you were looking for records at that time, which I was starting to, it's like, you, you would have to know what that meant. And yeah. back then only like a used 12 inch was like two ninety five, So it was easy to find out. Absolutely. And, and tried by 12, I think is, is standard stood the test of time in the sense of, um, Sometimes you capture a beat and a vibe and it's it's lightning in a bottle and it's definitely an underground anthem. Not one that anybody mentioned in our Twitter thread, which is like 60 tweets long. A few people mentioned. Oh, did they? Okay. A few people okay. mentioned it. Can okay. I give you a couple of others that are that are more on the thing? They're not my pick, but just things I okay. was thinking about. Sure. Uh, guidelines by AC Alone and Mumbles oh. describes oh. a hip hop ethos. No one mentioned that in the thread, I don't think. Mm. Um, a personal favorite of mine, which more falls under the uh, thing of random rap than it does of underground hip hop anthem. But for me, like is such a great underground hip hop song. And I just want to talk about it on my podcast is uh, constant deviance uh, competition, catch speed knots. Just oh, not familiar. Phenomenal okay. song. I'll send you a link. Okay. Um, just amazing. And then uh, Dave and I's song we're obsessed with and have been since the day lyricist lounge came out which is famous last words yeah um yeah. i just we have new listeners now they haven't heard me uh, gloat about uh, famous last words in a while but to me that's like such an underground 
rap song and then to the to the point of the prompt of how describing what an underground hip-hop life should be like to me actually the best written song about that is manifesto by talib Kweli before he went oh interesting yeah it's like yeah. he lays it out exactly yeah he it does is, it's, it's about an elemental um view of hip-hop which most people don't talk about it anymore but he's like to my people still breaking graph writing and rapping like that was so important back then yeah like that was how people were defined of what like b-boy art you aligned with and you could kind of write but i was more of a hip you know a tagger or whatever anyway right we right. don't have to worry about shit like that anymore and that's good because i can't do any of them i just like hip-hop so <laughs> it's just like I'm like, what if you're like really into listening to the music? Is there a place for me? That is the 12th element of hip hop is <laughs> listening and vibing out. I think that Talib um, in the Black Star kind of era, that to me was the last group of rappers that could sit back and kind of like analyze because that's a little bit later. So he's giving you a very well articulated kind of hip hop ethos. He had heard a bunch of the anthems we're talking about and is, was able to like really articulate it. Hadn't thought about that song in a while. Yeah. Um, Always song- been a fave. What about you, Damone? What's next on your uh, your your official picks? Of my official picks, number two would be J. Rue, the Damja, uh, Come Clean, which very similar to Try by 12 has a, a super iconic beat, uh, which is very sparse. But in kind of contrast to East Flatbush, East Flatbush project, uh, J. Rue encourages us to leave our nines at home and bring your skills to the battle. So this is J. Rue, for those who haven't heard it, and I don't know how you have it <laughs> while you're listening to us. You wanna front one? Jump up and get bucked. If you're feeling lucky, duck, then press your luck. I snatch fake gangster MCs and make them slam day. Your nine spray, my mind spray. Malignant mist that'll leave caught defunct. The results, you'll remain stuffed in a car truck. You couldn't come to the jungles of the East Pop and that gang. You won't survive, get live. Catching wreck is our thing. I don't gang bang or shoot out bang bang. The relentless lyrics, the only dope I slang. Basically, J. Rue is laying out kind of this um manifesto uh, against the gangsterization of of rap and kind of so many of our faves were at the time right absolutely but i like to gangster rap too it's like you don't have to live your life by these principles to appreciate what they're talking about it's just like but anyway most of the good songs from this time had this kind of sconce of uh the, what we what they saw as hip-hop heading in the wrong direction and it's up for debate whether or not that was true or not well as a west coast head it, it was always this weird kind of uncomfortable position anybody who listened to episode 187 with uh dj yella knows that we were very much reared in in gangster rap and and all of the the greats that came out of california but uh this was a time where that was being critiqued very harshly Come Clean is one of those songs that does it very well. I think the beat, you know, all praise due to the God, DJ Premier, um, really lent itself to J. Uh, J. Rue's off-kilter flow. Um, he was making these really what felt like salient points at the time. Um, it's a, In retrospect, it's a little preachy. It's a little like, all right. But at the time, it was definitely foundational in terms of uh, the hip-hop, the underground hip-hop worldview. Um, and really kind of established J. Rue as an artist 
And so I, I really always kind of gravitate towards that and remembering that hat he used to wear, which I think is also uh, very iconic in terms of underground rap. I, I, I had to have one. Did you have one, Nate? <laughs> uh, what hat are we talking about? The like, We're talking the, about... Like all stacked up at the top? It's, it's definitely like paramilitary, like mm. something that, let it, that Che would have worn like around a campfire. But it's kind of like this like a boxy um it's got a bill but you know i think there was a meme not too long ago oh it's like like the the guy who jumps in the cypher and starts talking about pyramids pyramids yeah yeah i had a hat kind of like that but much much later than that yeah Yeah. it's like it was it's like an australian um like desert military Uh, i I wore i wore the s word out of that hat like for years (laughs) but not in not in like the late 90s early 2000s like way later like in the 2010s ironically no just like yeah this is my kind of Nate like, Rue the Damja <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to come clean yeah there it is um so yeah I mean people rightfully say this maybe is Premier's best beat it's mm. one of the best hip-hop beats of all time it's one of the most unique sounding musical productions of all time um for me in particular, J. Rue has not aged well. I never throw on J. Rue to listen to. A, it's like uh, when I had satellite radio, uh, Rock the Bells would play Come Clean fairly often and Don't Stop the Profit occasionally. And I'd be, I wouldn't change the channel, but like I, I, I kind of had my fill uh, yeah. of J. Rue at this point in my <laughs> life. I, I, I need I do for a revisit. If we did an episode about it, okay. I'd go find what to like about it and re, like listen back real hard. But it just hasn't aged particularly well. This this is one song in particular where it has a really flagrant F word. And it's easy enough when you're DJing or, you know, to listening cut it at out home to cut it out. But like, yeah. well, I hate to have to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, anyway. great, great point. Um, Verently uh, homophobic in in that as as a certain flock of songs where that's probably the most unfortunate uh, aspect of underground anthems is sometimes you're going to get, you know, things that don't pass muster today. And that that's OK. We're, you know, we're here to, yeah. to honestly song, critique though. these things. Yeah. Honest, honestly critique great songs. So those were our picks, but the dad bod rap pod Twitter fan base went crazy with this for us. Anyway, this is crazy. People <laughs> got all kinds of responses that they chimed in with have me thinking about all sorts of songs that I listened to when I was still smoking brown weed. So it's, it's been a fun Monday peeping those on the timeline. We will get to those at the end of this episode, but before we do, uh, we need to talk about perhaps the greatest underground rap anthem of all time. And that is Nate. Mineral, vitamin, ironing, <laughs> niacin. Uh, it's, it's Time's Up by OC, our guest this week, who, as you will hear in a moment, does not consider himself to be underground nor this song to be underground. But it is it fits Dante's criteria perfectly of being two long verses and rapping about rapping it also happens to be one of the most unique and hard to rap to i would imagine Mm. beats of all time that he Mm. flipped into a stone cold classic like if you don't like this song i don't know what the hell you're doing listening to this show like time's up is i don't know what what to say about it it's perfect 
It's just it's a perfect song. It's such a great song. And it, it it's exactly what I like about hip hop music. And it's like I kind of like can't imagine my life without this song being in it. And oh, foundational. OC's first couple records are just incredible. And he has continued to rap extremely hard and just be a really important uh, figure in all of this that we discuss. And um, I, don't, I don't that's I'll just kind of leave it there. I mean, time's yeah. up. Yeah, time time's up. I really obviously connected with the song very deeply when it came out. I remember uh, the homie Tracks a Million and myself going on the bus to Eastridge Mall to get the cassette single of Time's Up because we we had heard it on college radio and it just blew our fucking minds in the sense that OC was a rapper who was doing highly technical things but not what I would call flibbity ribbity, which at a time to impress somebody with your flow, um, I think cats, especially in the early 90s, would kind of go unnecessarily fast. Um, OC on Time's Up, which is a, a very weird and, and strange and difficult beat, which he'll talk about. Um, he had this bounce and knowing where to put the negative space that made what he was saying just electric. You lack the minerals and the minerals and vitamins. Iacin and niacin. <laughs> Fuck who did I offend? Like he, there's a time in rap where he would have been like, I like the minerals and vitamins and niacin and niacin. <laughs> he would have done all that. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have, but that's what you would do. Right. So he set it up in this way that in the first four bars, you're like, oh, this is really different. Not only is the cadence next level, not only is his voice money, but he's actually talking to you and explaining some shit to you that really resonates. And I, I know the subject matter of it really resonated at that time. I think this song met me at exactly the point where I'm like, does everybody have to get shot in every rhyme? Does everybody have to be super tough? Like he really took on the phoniness and the fakeness of that um, in such an artful way. And that's, I guess that's why it's an all-time classic. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's just, um, it defines exactly what we're talking about. And um, I believe it came out on wild pitch, which mm -hmm. is probably more known now for having done industry rule number 4,080 <laughs> than it is for being the home to some of the best music ever. Oh my but, God. Of um, songs, of yeah, songs at some point we should do a deep dive, a pretty wild steep pitch. catalog of amazing things that they put out. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think we should uh, we should get into this interview. It's a pretty it's a pretty interesting interview. It's I think it's going to surprise a couple of things about it might surprise some people. So we should let them hear it. Absolutely. Without further ado, here is our interview with OC Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dead Bod Rap Pod. Every week we have conversations with people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have OC. What's good, man? What's going on, man? Uh, man, just happy to have you on the program. Uh, wanted to ask for starters, wanted to ask about 
your relationship with organized confusion um, yeah. and the role that they played in you getting your rap career started? I mean, those are like, um, those are my senses, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, anything, I, I just put it to somebody like this a while ago, like it's a hierarchy in crews, whether people understand that or not. And, um, you know, those are my teachers to this day. So, mm. you know, it's, it's Prince of Pharaoh and then it's me. And <laughs> that's just my position, you know, and the way I look at things when it comes to them, them two right there, because without them, I wouldn't have been on, period. How, how did how did you guys connect? Did they, like, discover you? Did you know them before? Um, Nah, Pharaoh was actually my neighbor. Mm. We live right across the street from each other in, in Jamaica, Queens. So, you know, I, I was neighbors with March, and I met Prince later on through March. They went to high school together. And, you know, I was there from the inception of, you know, before they were organized confusion. They were simply too positive. They went by SDP. Right. And, um, you know, I was there. I was the fly on the wall from day one. Mm. Okay, man. Well, you know, um, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Time's Up. So uh, we were all before the show. We we're like, who's gonna ask? Go see this question. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna dive in, man. It's, it's one of the best rap songs ever made, an underground hip hop classic. Um, let us know everything that went into that song, man. Um, the time and place, what the writing process was like when you heard the beat. What do you remember from that song? Um. The song was actually brought to March by a mm. guy named Prestige, who in turn, he did a, uh, a song on my album, my debut album called Point of Views. Mm. Produced. Yep. And later on, he went on to become one of the hitmen for Bad Boy. Mm. And, um, yo, he... He was a March stand. He was he was a stand of March. So he used to bring <laughs> March to everything. And you know, dude brought this particular sample over one day. And um, you know, I, I used to like I said, I was there when when they were doing their their debut. I was there before, you know, the, the Hollywood basic contract. So, you know, March to me is just catching up to himself today. So everything you hear him rhyme and, you know, do multiple syllables and puns and rhythm and runs, I heard that back in 87. Wow. 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 The, the verse, wake up to the mathematics of an erratic rap rejuvenator. That's mm -hmm. an old verse. Man. That's crazy. That, that verse is probably like 86, 87. Oh, man. You know, so anyway, Prestige brings over the sample to him and, and he didn't have it hooked up. And Marsh threw that shit to the side. <laughs> <laughs> so he played it, you know, later on that evening. I was in his crib and, he, you know, he acted like he wasn't interested in it. But it had caught my ear because it was something different. Mm. It was something different. And I was doing demos at the time. I was still trying to get on. At this time, I met Search, you know, by this time. So um, 
I knew Buck at the time mm-hmm. after this whole source tour thing, you know, going on the road with with uh, organized confusion. And um, I asked Buck, did he know what the sample was? And he said, yeah. And I was like, yo, you need to hook this joint up because March is not fucking with it. And, you know, I asked him a few times in passing, yo, you still want that beat? He like, yeah, no, nah, I ain't paying, you know, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And that was it. <laughs> really how the song came about um, as far as being put together. But, yo, it took me like a year to write to it, man. Oh, oh wow. 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 Okay. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that, like writing to that beat. It's awkward. Mm. It's just mm. awkward. It's not the normal. It is one, two, three, four, but if you listen to it, and um, if you hear the raw sample of it, it's not one, two, three. It, it's it's off, mm-hmm. but it's on. That, that's how I felt, and that's how I heard it in my head, but I just didn't know what kind of words to put to it. So, you know, um, I took a, a basically a, a page out of Big L's book, you know, before I met Big L, and Every line I would see or if I sat in front of a cereal box or, you know, the, the minerals and vitamins is from the side of the breaking down the whole uh, uh, flavors of the, you know, the fruit loops and stuff like that. And, um, you know, things of that nature. So I would take lines from here and there. And then I would try to put it together. And hence, it's only two verses, too. I couldn't do three verses for it. Because I just felt like, yo, it would be too much. And, you know, this might not be something people would like anyway. Hmm. That's fascinating. I, and it's it's such a great song, man. It's just really important to all of us. And I'm sure you hear that from people at shows and stuff. It's just, it's just an incredible piece of work. And we thank you for it. Yeah. But it leads me to a question, which Dave, Dave set this up he called it the best underground rap song of all time and that's something i personally agree with someone who spends a lot of time thinking about this but i wonder mm-hmm. if you think of yourself as an underground rapper nah mm. I-, I felt like um once you sign a record contract that goes out the door because it's a possibility for you to sell records or you know fade into oblivion mm. Mm. you know Labels, I just never, uh, yo, legend, all that. I don't answer to none of that. If you look, if you if you wrote something to me about being legend, I'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> I just never, I never paid attention to none of that, man. Like, I wanted to be famous the first year I got into the game. And, you know, then I woke up. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, man. Uh, so, talking about Time's Up, I was also a huge fan of your first album, Word Life, um, which to me is is a hip hop classic. And a lot of the content on that album, you mentioned being you didn't consider yourself an underground rapper. But I think Mm -hmm. what you did was you articulated an underground ethos. So you have songs like Creative Control. You have Mm -hmm. the Time's Up joint where you're kind of like challenging some of the commercialization and rap and such. Um, do you feel like Word Life gets the its proper due in terms of the classic 90s albums? Yeah, it took 30 years, but yeah. <laughs> I believe now people understand, like, you know, um, 
always tell people, you know, my, my thing was going to be a slow burn. Mm. Like, people was either going to get it out the gate or somebody was going to pull a coat and be like, yo, you know, the J, the Nas, the big stuff. Yo, that OC, you know, I, I figured people would finally understand, like, instead of putting the trifecta in everybody's perspective for 20 years about Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas, it's, it's a lot of us out here, like, and it's a lot of us that put out quality and, you know, from a fan point on my end, classic material, mm. you know what I'm saying? And um, I just felt like mine was going to be a slow burn. Everybody got a different route, so, you know. I didn't. I, I couldn't expect something unless you know they just bet the, the farm on. Me, you know what I'm right. saying? And right. That's another. That's a whole another conversation. But yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't think about it like that. Right on. Uh, I'm gonna add this: the last times up question. I think. Uh, <laughs> so in times up, very famously. Um, you had the bar where you said, I'd rather be broke and have a whole lot of respect. D- did you feel like that kind of put you in a box or you had painted yourself in? Because I do remember people when you came out with Jules being like, oh man, I'm like, what are you yeah. supposed to be broke forever? Like what, like how, how did, did that really manifest in your life Were people like holding you to that ethos? A whole lot, but you know, what can you do, man? I told people, if you listen to the bar, I'd rather be broke and have a whole lot of respect. It's the principle of it. That's the key word right there. It's the principle of it. I don't want to be broke. Like I have to make a living and shit. But um, just the whole premise of me uh, of basing me being an artist around making music and, you know, for the the lack them to make money like that that's that's the whole that's what the bar is about it wasn't about me making money like i said you know when um uh, i thought i wanted to be famous coming in the game you know i somebody stuck me with a pen and it was like oh shit like you know you need to make this work or you know you have to get a blue collar job you know what i'm saying or you have to do something but Fortunately, it's worked for me for 30 years. And it took time, but, you know, I stuck with it. That's so dope, man. Thank you for answering that. You know, um, you previ- previously just mentioned Jules a little bit, um, and, cert- and, and indeed it is. Um, and that was on Payday Records. And um, some of my favorite cuts of yours have been with Primo. And so, you know, I just, I, I just w- am curious. How how is it when OC and Primo are in a studio together? Can you sort of break it down for us and let us know the energy that's in the room and sort of just you know your guys's rapport through the years? I mean, I you know I have no special stories about that. <laughs> it's just Cream does a beat from scratch. I know y'all probably you know heard that before. Um, you know. Slapping and, and Billy is playing pool, which is MOP. They outside playing pool. Smith and Wesson is walking around. Mm. It's a normal, you know, uh, uh, it's just normal to see all of these guys in one place. So I say all that to say, you know, I'm going out of the beat miners room. Then I'm coming back into my room. We getting ideas. We actually reflecting off each other. 
mm. you know, um, Cat standing in the in the in the lounge, rhyming to himself, and I'm walking past him. I'm not saying what's up because I don't want to interrupt him and shit. You know, things of that nature. So going into the room with Cream, it's just like it's something that we normally did. You know, uh, if I wasn't recording, somebody else was recording, and I was standing there watching or drinking a beer or something like that. So. You know, mm. I don't know if it makes sense to y'all, but it was just the magic of everybody being in there, period, mm. that made the music. Word. Thank you. Yeah, that, that sounds incredible. And um, it, it brings up something I wanted to ask you about. I, I don't know if a lot of people know about this, and I just want to, like, shine a little light on it. You have a mm. band camp release. I want to get the title right. It's called The Ozone Files. Rare mm-hmm. demos and unreleased tracks. It's 51 incredible mm-hmm. rap records. Um, can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about like kind of giving that gift to the fans and like what kind of stuff is on there? I just kind of feel like more people should know about this. I know for me, if I don't know what to listen to, I'll just go throw that on because those, those, some of the stuff on there, I can't believe is unreleased to this point. There's so much good music on there. Yeah, I, man, I forgot what's on there, but... A lot of that stuff is um, pre-Word Life demo. Mm. Ozone was done over maybe three or four times. So the the final Ozone you hear on the final product of Word Life is not the same as what's on them Ozone files. And it was previous Ozone records to that. So I made different versions of different things. Um, Just music that was laying around. you know, just just stuff that I felt like I shouldn't even sit on anymore. Like, why mm-hmm. sit on the music, man? You know what I'm saying? The music is going to outlast me anyway, so why sit on it? Just let people hear it. Wow. That's yeah, that's perfect. perfect. Yeah, we're, we're actually better for that. Um, what's, what's your kind of... I know you're originally from Brooklyn, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Sky Zoo on the program who has a, a great new album that talks about gentrification in Brooklyn. I wanted to kind of bounce that off you. It's definitely a neighborhood that's changed over the years. Um, mm-hmm. As somebody who comes from there, uh, what, what are your thoughts on like what's what's happened in the in the neighborhood that you came from? Um, I seen it go through change growing up. You know, it is what it is. That's New York. New York evolves that way. Mm. Um, I know it's a lot of people being pushed out, you know, that that has roots there. I'm not even in New York no more. You know what I'm mm. saying? So, mm-hmm. so um, people are being pushed out. What is it? They building a Netflix office. Yeah. They, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a new world. Mm. And um, people not, including myself, people not ready for change, man, mm. with certain things. And, and I understand that we get complacent and get set in our ways, but these things have to happen, whether they're good or bad. You know mm. what I'm saying? Right on, you know, right on. It's uh, in my heart. I don't have to be there anymore, though. Mm. That's That's... Super interesting. Uh, I want to pose the same question to you that I did to Sky Zoo, though, and and feel free to answer this any way that you want to. If you had to put together a Brooklyn rap Mount Rushmore, the four rappers, 
that you would pick to be the greatest to ever come out of the borough, who would you pick? Oh, man. <laughs> you talking about Brownsville, Bed-Stuy, Bushwick, Fort Greene, you know, you got to put it, put together the game of days, the Sarah Bulls, mm. the Sounds, the uh, Big Daddy Kings. You know, Big ain't here no more. Um, you got to put together the most deaths. The, mm. It's a long list, man. I couldn't even give you no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you went back to the Sir Ibu and Divine Force, man. That was yes. that's like amazing. That's like the I real said, knowledge. I said Sir Ibu, but then I said Divine Sounds. So I'm no Divine Sounds. Uh, what people do for money, that, that joint. Yeah, yeah. These guys used to play music, you know, in the parks and stuff like that when we was kids. So, you know, um, it's a whole lineage of Brooklyn uh, artists out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's for real, for real, for real. What are you working on on new stuff? What what can we uh what can we expect from OC moving forward? Um, I'm working on Perestrika Part Two with, with Apathy, of course. Um, I'm working on probably my final solo album. Okay. Uh, why final? I mean, yo, I got twenty albums, man. Wow. <laughs> Like, yeah. this is what people don't understand, and, and I don't talk, so. Right. Same on the same sun, new dawn, opium, uh, uh, trophies. Like, I put out, like, five projects in the past five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. people are at this stage where you they feel like um, you should be putting out projects every year. I get that, but for me, you know, I'd rather my stuff really sink in. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it shit, it takes 10 years for something to be to be considered a classic. Mm. So for me to give you an album every year, how are you gonna rate that? Yeah. Mm. It's tough. And it's just a lot to digest, man. Like me being a a, a purchaser of music and a fan of the music, man, I wanna sit on something at least a year. Mm. You know while I'm listening to your music and, and then, you know, try to get something from it. So I put out like five album, albums in the past four, five years, six years. New Dawn, Same Moon, Same Sun, everything that's going on right now, people like, yo, you ju- you called it. I was like, nah, I just paid attention. <laughs> and I ain't yeah. no sick. I ain't no uh, predictor of the future. I'm not Nostradamus. It's just I paid attention to the signs, and some of us did, and some of us didn't. And mm. now, you know, things are happening today. But for me, you know, um, I don't have nothing else to prove. Mm. Okay, because you know, I still love it. When I, you know, and I, it, it takes a lot out of you to do an album. Man. That's it's mm. part of your life force. Yeah, you know, somebody asked me earlier, um, what's my favorite album? And I'm like, I don't have a favorite album. Like each part of each album I put out is a part of me. It's a part of my life, other people's lives. And, you know, the the goal of me putting out music is the music to outlast me. That's what's going to happen anyway. I'm going to be dead and gone, but my voice will still be somewhere recorded. Mm. 
you know. Yeah, and, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's, look for it, so that's what it is. Yo, perfect. Thank you for that. Um, you know, your history is so rich. I mean, evidenced by just us talking about Pharaoh Monch and Primo and Search, and you know, you're you're just a legend. But you know, I, I I'm always interested in other important legends when they intersect with one another. And can you talk a little bit about Lord Finesse and sort of when you guys met and his impact on your career? Uh, we're big fans. So, you know, I just want to hear OC talk a little bit about Ness. I mean, um, I figured DITC wouldn't be so extensive if it wasn't for Lord Finesse. Mm. Or it probably wouldn't actually exist as a a, a producer, MC conglomerate. And, you know, people don't realize that. They like how, like, Finesse brought together Show and AG. Mm. You know, in turn, he brought me in the fold and Big Al and Buck Wow. That's DITC right there. <laughs> you know, besides, you know, the, the, the guys he grew up with, which were Diamond D, Showbiz, and Fat Joe. They all grew up in the same projects together. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But once he put them elements together with Show and AG and, and Buck with me and, you know, Count Big L and, you know, it was just Finesse's, you know, like I said, it's a hierarchy, man. For me, he's the dude Mm. in the crew. He brought everybody together. No digging, no no finesse, no digging. That's how I look at it. Mm. Do you think that... um... You said it's your last album. I'm kind of stuck on that, to be honest with you. And I, I know you, you made a conclusive statement, but um, do you, could you see yourself doing stuff with the crew into the future? Like, would you still be an artist in some regard? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm still uh, putting music out with other people. I'm doing features and stuff like that. You know, I, I actually eat well off of that. So That's I'm going to definitely continue that as long as I can. But... Like I said, man, for me, um, it's time for other people to come through. That's how I feel about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Like I said, I got 20-plus albums. Go, if, Whatever you think you found, I put out 20 albums. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, go check the resume. Like, what else do I have to say? What else do I have to write? What else do I have to prove? Right. Putting out another album. But I do have something on my chest you know, for me to uh, work on this final LP, solo LP anyway. But um, yeah, I'm going to okay. definitely stick features and stuff. Definitely. That's so dope. Well, we appreciate you spending the time with us, taking us through your storied career. Um, and it's good to know that you're still going to be spitting bars into the future. OC, thank you so much for being on the program. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Definitely. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. All right. Peace. Peace.
so that was our conversation with OC, who has one of the most hip hop voices of all time, in my opinion. I think that's probably under discussed. We know he's a lyricist, but he talks to even just talking to you. I go, your voice is what rappers are supposed to sound like. My, my takeaway from the interview is uh, it was October and he was tired. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was an interesting yeah. view. And maybe we just caught him uh, at a moment where he was he was a little down. But I, I was I, I didn't I never know what to expect, um, especially with I don't think OC has a real strong social media presence. I'm sure we would sure. follow him on Instagram and Twitter. I don't you don't get a sense of him from that. Sometimes sure. you get a real sense of. Who, who an artist people is. are from their yeah. their things and so it's it's like a view into their world but i don't know it was a, it was interesting to hear um that he's he's thinking about the end game and uh that is very Woo! interesting for a variety of reasons yeah that's so interesting to me because i think q-tip said this in the tribe doc this isn't sports like you don't you don't have to jump you don't have to Theoretically, you could put words together forever, but I found his response to be really interesting in that he's like, bruh, I got like 20 albums out here. Like, what else do you want me to say? And I really appreciate that from an artist because you do have some artists sometimes that I think are just kind of on autopilot and they're just doing a thing because they've been doing a thing. But he definitely seems very uh, intentional about the work that he's creating and the work he's not going to create. Uh, so that yeah I don't think we've ever heard that before and I I think we've been kind of bad fans and I'll put this on myself like I really like that collection that he put out from when he was Ozone and his early demos I think it's amazing and I've personally kind of tried to get a lot of people to listen to that I've sent links I've mentioned it to people I'm like I'm I've I listen to I like I I think I said this in the interview when I don't know what to listen to I'll just throw that on because there's you can you can get lost in it it's 50 tracks however he's got 15 albums i've never even clicked on you know what i mean like i'll put that on myself like i haven't listened to his 2005 album i don't don't know what that sounds like some sometimes they're pretty good and sometimes they're just the the production is not to my taste or it just didn't it didn't well across my uh it didn't hit your radar yeah Yeah, radar whatever you want to put it yeah Yep. yep and it's so hard nowadays to be heard and seen because there's so much coming out. But I will also say this. I think rappers like athletes are bound to what team they end up on. Rappers are bound to what production they end up on. And so when you're listening to the first couple of OC records, you're listening to him having access to, you know, peak DITC um, and a lot of other producers, like high level producers. And sometimes I think as rappers get on in their careers, sometimes the, the production can be a little bit shaky. That's not an excuse, though, especially for those of us who talk about uh, the realness and the real era and blah, 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 blah. Whenever I hear people say that, I go, Karis One would like you to buy one of his most recent albums. Like if you really feel that way, if, if you're um, that real. There's a a really good way to express that and it's get your credit card out. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I kind of, I feel you, I do feel as rap fans, we could probably do a better job, but the, the project that you're mentioning, Nate, I hadn't heard before and I threw it on at your behest uh, because you, you have, you kind of have good taste of rap music, honestly. 
I appreciate that. And so I threw it on and I was like, this is it. I could listen to this for like three hours because it is so uh, rappy. It's just like, here's hard beats. Here's a a dude from New York being very New York in the way he expresses himself. Um, And with the right production, yeah, you could could just listen to it for hours. And it's so deep. Uh, What is the name of the project? Uh, The Ozone Files. I I looked. It's on Spotify and stuff now. It was Bandcamp exclusive when it came out. Um, and it, it, I, I listened to that so much when it first came out. Bandcamp did that thing where they're like, you know, we we do do unlimited streaming, but you're taking it a little too far. Like you, you should really you should really buy this. Dude, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was. Oh, my God. I can't believe you said that. I was last night going on Bandcamp and going through small pros um, vault on Bandcamp that he has. Yeah, he's got John's on John's on Bandcamp. And so, you know, I'm trying to get my little rap thing together and like his, his beats are so rappy. Yeah. So I listened to a song like three times and they're like, hey, bro, it's time you whip out your wallet and pay for that. We're going to send Small Pro to your house. <laughs> I was like, damn. So I did. I ended up buying Small Pro Instrumental Works 17 nice. to 19. Uh, but I do think it's funny how Bandcamp shames you yeah. uh, for re- repeated streaming without buying. Totally. As they should. As they should. As they should. We suck for that. So uh, we want to thank OC for coming on. Uh, we're definitely huge fans and we appreciate all that he has done. He's, he's quitting it after this, folks. So you should definitely tap into his new record. I want to do a call back to earlier in this episode, Nate, when we talked about underground rap anthems. Among them, J. Roo's Come Clean. And you know what else can come clean, Nate? Those nuts. Your balls. That's right. <laughs> That's right, Nate. Thank you, sir. Maybe not, maybe not mine per se, but like ones. <laughs> uh, one's nuts can come clean. And you can do that by using what over 2 million men worldwide have used, which is Manscaped. They've just came out with their Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. With this exclusive offer code, DADBOD, you can get the new Lawnmower 4.0 at manscaped.com. Calm. We want to let you know that they are supporting the dad bods and the dad nuts, as it were, <laughs> uh, with with their product. So, um, you know, we got the product um, It's very sleek, well designed. And I'll say it. It's soft enough for your balls. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I try to do a little edge up on my face just to test it, because before I put some machinery on my soft parts, I want to know. What's, you know, what are you what are you getting in for? Would you say much like the uh, 90s film about the dangers of virtual reality? You're a lawnmower man. <laughs> he went deep for that, but um, that was great. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm a lawnmower man. I've got the lawnmower and it is both sharp and soft at the same time. I don't know how they did it. It's Manscaped technology. So if you want to support your balls and you want to support this program, go to manscaped.com, cop the lawnmower 4.0 and use the code DADBOD. Right now, we want to go to our question of the week every week-ish. I put a question out on Twitter at DADBODRAPPOD and our audience responds. Sometimes they don't respond, and, and that makes me feel like that was a bad question. 
And when they sometimes do they're too specific. Uh, it's yeah. good. It's good when you get people with differing viewpoints getting in Absolutely. there, right? And this one was really taken off because I looked while we were recording the intro, and we got six new. Uh, so people are still talking about it. I will say, Crazy. and th- this is nothing against you guys. I love you all, but like sometimes people are talking about the same question like days later, and like <laughs> we have moved on. Like we we don't like this is not a perpetual recording cycle. We we have a couple hours in the week where we do this, and after that, it's like say what you want on our Twitter. We love all the engagement, but like that's not going to go on the show. This that's is, not making it on sensitive. the show. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna say this, Nate. Not to contradict what you just said. I think this is so meaty. We may have to come back to it a second time. Wow. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, if we wow, break up, wow. we break a hundred uh, responses, then we may have to come back to this. But we got a lot of good responses. Shout out to everybody that follows us on Twitter and has responded to this question. Um, let's just get into it. We've got the rap pundit at Dub City Roller put so many favorites i agree Hold on before we go into that uh great follow if you guys are not following this person oh, the rap pundit. Yeah, yes. it's fantastic like hugely like uh dedicated fan of some of the stuff that i like and does excellent lists yes uh quarterly and his year-end wrap-ups and stuff i think he still does them on tumblr are, are really wow really this is this is a person i rely on for rap information that's right so shout out to the rap pundit for chiming in, he put Work the Angles by Dilated Peoples, which is such a great pick. Um, it's sharp I, and precise. <laughs> Much uh, like the one. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, Dilated Peoples, I think, is one of those groups that was created, um, not created, that put out a lot of great, quote unquote, underground rap anthems. On Capitol um, Records. On Capitol Records, right. Yeah. Or getting ripped off on ABB first. Right. But, but yeah, they, they kind of, to me, when you think about Anthemic, their approach was very Anthemic. They were the, the rap group that would give you a big chorus. Yeah, their, their records are hooky. Yes. Uh, both in Babu's scratch choruses and Raka and Evidence's approaches lyrically, it gave you a lot to catch your ear. And yes. so there are people, I think uh, these songs, especially this song, Work the Angles, was on some video game soundtracks. Yes. And yeah. like this soundtrack, a lot of people's free time. And so this song is like beloved um, for good reason. It's a great song. Absolutely. Shout out to Dilated Peoples and Evidence, who has a new amazing record out. That, it, uh, it, that is so far from uh, work the angles, dude. That bouncy, huge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, underground anthem with the crazy scratching. Now it's to like sparse. Yeah, it's just like a, some guy playing the bass in a far corner of a distant room, and like the, some guy like tapping some foil over in the hallway, <laughs> and then he just says these like really smart, like well crafted, like kind of totally. like Bon Mott kind of like deep lyrics mm-hmm. just very occasionally there's just a lot of negative space in his new record it's a really good record i'm kind of curious where it's going to end up in my um year calculus for the year ends but it must be contended with it's a very 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 good record absolutely evidence still out here putting in work um another artist who has been around for a while had a release this year i think uh, or maybe it was last year is aesop rock and labor labor days came up quite a bit this um, is labor 
Yeah. So um, why do you I, think people gravitated towards this track? Because it's not specifically yeah, about it, rap in that way. It's a really, really good song. And it was just Labor Day. No, I'm just kidding. That was in May. That wasn't even <laughs> true. I just wanted to say it. Um, I was just re-listening to one of our episodes and we recorded it on Labor Day. And I can't remember who the guest was, but we were talking about like, oh, we're we're off work and Dave is at work and it's Labor Day. Do you remember who that was? Yeah. Um, uh, this is I kind of a flex. I, I don't ma- remember. <laughs> Could have been any good rapper. Yeah. No. Um, absolutely. Anyway, m- this is this is stupid, and I I believe I speak for Dave here. But for us, the track on Labor Days is No Regrets. Mm. Like that's one of the best mm. storytelling raps of all time. That's my favorite Aesop Rock song. Like I'm obsessed with that song. I want that song to be made into a movie. Like I just like think that that song is fantastic. So for me, when I think about the album Labor Days, which is a very good record and a very good strong choice for an underground anthem kind of record it's uh i think about no regrets but the song labor is more um what does he say uh all i ever wanted was to pick apart the day put the pieces back together yeah, my yeah. way like it has right. a lot of like little like life aphorism things yeah. that you can like take with yeah. you on your journey and w- one of the great things about hip-hop is how it so directly teaches you about life if you're listening mm-hmm. these people mm-hmm. have a lot of wisdom and there's a lot there's a lot to be gathered i feel like listening to hip-hop and especially this kind of underground hip-hop has really enriched my life and taught me a lot about what it means to be human and how to be a good person and mm-hmm. that's i think the the mainstream narratives about rap are kind of the opposite of that that it teaches you totally. to be a bad person and i'm just like you're just not listening to the right stuff or not listening in the right way so i don't know yeah. I, th- these are all guesses i don't know why people do what they do but it's an interesting one that came up more than we thought it would yeah absolutely i wasn't thinking about that joint uh but but shout out to asap rock so at drunk drunk monk puts stakes as high question mark um indeed think- they are yeah exactly uh i think this record fits the bill um it pushes the boundaries of is this underground because it was released on a label label right um but i think in terms of content and what they were talking about um it's definitely right there and and to me this is the cresting of that wave stakes is high as an album and as a song i think this was like, hey, here was the best song you could do about this topic. And then everything after this felt really tired to me. Would you yeah. agree with that? Uh, the, the, not the second part. Definitely the first part. Um, the, it's grown man rap is always what I talk about when we talk about Stakes is High. It's one of my favorite records of all time. It definitely is explicitly attempting to diagnose the issues as they saw them with hip hop. Um, I believe it was Mr. Dibbs and a shout out to my friend Cutso, who's like voice I'm hearing in my head uh, when I say this. I believe it was a Mr. Dibbs routine. I could be getting the DJ wrong, but he had a thing he would do where he would take the part where he's like, I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. And then he'd like put on a song like he'd switch immediately to a song where it's like another good song. But like where they're doing that sick of Versace glasses switch to the biggie thing. (laughs) Like he had this cool routine where he was juxtaposing the two Oh, wow. Ethoses, if you will, yeah. as like a segment of a mixtape. And I always thought that was oh, really wow. clever, even though I can't remember when it, when I heard it or where it is or who, he, who it even was. But I think about that often when I think about Stakes is High. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm down for a little grouchiness. I'm down for a little like uh, fed upness in my rapping. And I think that's what yeah. people hold against 
stakes as high but i think if you embrace it it's like these are master craftsmen at the pinnacle of their powers um operating without prince paul for the first time having complete kind of artistic freedom and what they chose to do was to say we don't we don't think this is going in the right direction but also holding themselves up as paragons of how to do it well yeah yeah talk about uh your acres in the west indies where you're building residents right it's like there are many ways to there are many things to rap about and they show you this prismatic view of all the different things you can rap about that aren't this so it's not as finger pointy as that one part of that one song might make it seem in my opinion interesting okay okay they kind of get pegged for being a little pedantic on this one but um that it is a wide-ranging record and it's it's an amazing record and i feel like um stakes is high is to me when the highest form of critique rap that you could do um, a lot of the other stuff just sounds bitter. It's kind of like, oh, I hate major labels because I'm not on one. Well, there's um, a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know what I thought was interesting about the Twitter replies on this particular one? Uh, not a single Cool Keith. Interesting. Even, I, even some Scaramanga, uh, Sir yeah. Menelik, uh, some Godfather Dawn, another collaborator of Cool Keith. No Cool Keith. Cool Keith to me is a textbook underground rapper. Like even when he was on, like I put his next plateau, I think is right. What, uh, so under, what's the Ultra what's Mags the anthem though? What's the anthem? I, I, Blue flowers. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Papa Large. Talking. Oh my God, Papa Large. Yeah, but then but then we do get into that whole I thing. Know, of, I know, uh, I know. It was on a major label. I know, blah, 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 blah. I know. Uh, Papa Large West Coast Remix, I think, is an underrated uh, song in the annals of hip hop time. Please listen to that. Papa Large, big shot on the West Coast um ricky ricardo to guy lombardo i mean ricky what, what else could you guy- want in a rap song mm, so perfect. great perfect perfect uh um, raise it up is also a great ultra mags kind of underground yes. rap song i just i love that song so much i can see uh, the, the cannibal ox came up a couple of times though people Absolutely. couldn't seem to agree on which song was was the underground anthem it's like their whole deal is being like the dystopian town crier yep underground yep. rap like yep. describing the world as it uh slides into chaos uh i'm curious of your take on this demone because i we talked about it a little bit before but uh black star definition was uh oh, brought up so many times how do you yes. feel about that as an underground anthem i definitely feel it's an underground anthem similar to my comment about quali i think black star came along at a time where they were able to see um the backpack era and make to me one of the last like definitive statements on that after that everything is a little bit different in in both of their careers and just in hip-hop generally um but they were analyzing what they had seen and spitting that back and like it's so you know the black star album is is pitch perfect in a lot of ways um but definitely not a song i was thinking about but i i agree with that pick my take is i'll accept it only if you include the entire song, including the redefinition okay. section. Okay. Because as a, as underground rap as a, it's not a definition, but generally speaking is a dour <laughs> pastime. It's a dark, it's a minor key yes. pastime, right? It's male <laughs> angst. <laughs> God, that makes it sound horrible. And much of it is. So yeah. I'm going to have to think about that more. Uh, but it's like you have the bright, shiny, 
side yes. of it and then you have the dark side of it and to me if you if you take the whole thing as one project and then i believe the next song on the record is respiration Ugh. with common which includes some so of the good. best rapping of this era and is like basically a perfect song so if you take that little suite right there that's that's yeah. pretty definitive underground hip-hop absolutely so definitive they they named it definition um, <laughs> at chris long shanks at chris long shanks uh, just put rugged like Rwanda, except <laughs> perfection. Yeah. Um, rugged like Rwanda. I know we get into these like debates. What's the best opening line? Blah 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 blah. You, if you sat me down and waterboarded me about the subject, I might say rugged like Rwanda. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. It sets the tone immediately, doesn't oh it? Oh my god! Especially at the time when that was all in the news. I mean, we're yes. not talking about Don Cheadle here. This was like still going on. Like <laughs> right. Crazy. Yeah, it was so crazy. Um, big just company flow is very much in like the wheelhouse of what we're talking about here. Yep. And like yep. th- that song in particular is so great. But my company flow song is Vital Nerve, and I just bring it mm. up anytime anybody wants to talk okay. about it. Okay. It's just like to me, that's that's a perfect underground rap song. It's sparse. Yes. Yes. Shout out to LP, who is uh just in a whole nother world i i don't want to derail us too much but what do you think the concentric circle is of people who know about run the jewels and people who know about company flow like what percentage of a run the jewels fan base has heard a company flow song nate leblanc oh god uh my the first thing that popped in my mind was 10 percent. okay but i don't know if in a spotify world but isn't uh Fun Crusher not on Spotify. It's not on Spotify, which well, makes this question even more All right, interesting. I'm gonna, right. I'm sticking with my answer. Ten percent of Run the Jewels fans know that Company Flow exists okay. or care. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's almost, um, it's a more exaggerated version of Dilla and Slum Village when right Dilla changed people's lives, but they hadn't never heard of Slum Village. Slum Dillage. Slum Dillage. Uh, um, an- another one that like kind of has my heart and was like really, really important to me at this time is Bragging Rights by J Live. Oh my, amazing God. song. Oh, my God. And And, for the few who care, right? (laughs) I mean, to me, he was at that particular time, especially because bragging rights, he's juggling, right? Yeah. 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 So so to me, I don't I don't want to get like DJ nerdy, but I don't know if you'd technically call it juggling. But he's he's like he's creating the beat in front of himself. Right. I guess. Is it Uh, juggling? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of, he loops, uh, he uses the two copies of the record, which is an amazing record. If you hear it, not going to sample snitch. Oh, interesting. But but he's, he's looping looping (laughs) this sample. Uh, he's got two copies and he actually does this live or has done this live. Um, which to me puts it on a, another level. We talked to open Mike Eagle a couple weeks ago about how he kind of live composes, um stuff during his live show to me if you can like manipulate the music whilst you're rapping on it <laughs> then, yeah exactly exactly sorry, sorry the, i had to cough the edon effect um but let's be real j live does predate edon that was the first person who i knew was like oh you're actually doing this with your hands um yeah. we should do a rapper dj segment at some point but uh i do feel like bragging rights is a is not only a dope song but like a feat as a hip hop feat of kind of like black thoughts, 10 minute freestyle or whatever. Right. Um, it's a feat of hip hop and J live. And a lot of his work is really committed to espousing the ethos of, of underground rap. Totally. Sure. Totally. Like if you like, this is so stupid and I should take this out of my 
you know, simile metaphor vocabulary, but it's like if you looked in the diction in the dictionary <laughs> uh, for underground hip hop, it's like J Live doing that routine would satisfy most of the requirements mm-hmm. you would have for um what what people needed to know about what this music was. And again, I'm just gonna keep bring this up one last time. It's the elements thing, right? Yes. Like he's yes. doing an he's doing two elements of that one time at, at the same time, which is back the then time. I think we we all wasted a lot of time caring about that. But that's neither here nor there. Another yeah, good um, one that came up a couple of times was and really fits the thing and makes it a great story and is hooky and fun is Deception by Black Alicious. By Black Alicious, as mentioned by Neighbor Guy um, he, uh, at here underscore show. Yes, I think Gab um, RIP was great at telling stories. And so this story is like one of the, the classic kind of cautionary tale raps, um, which can be, you know, a little heavy handed and preaching sometimes. But this one, um, it's still groovy. It's still fun. Gab still has his bounce. And so it's it's definitely one of my favorite late stage uh, Black Alicious joints. It's a first to call that late stage. What are we on? What are we? This is Nia. <laughs> That's Nia, dude. They had like six albums after that. It's only late stage for people who got on board at, uh, you know, Swan Lake 12 inch. Which, which is me. They were I, making making music well into like last year. No, no, I, 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 I hear you. I, I kind of think of the era's um, soul I, side. I know exactly what yeah, you mean. Yeah, I, I'm not yeah. like making fun of it. I am making fun of it. You are making fun of it. I agree with but, you. But, it's, yeah. it's the last one I own on Wax. Is it actually? I think I do have Blazing Arrow actually. Blazing, Blazing Arrow came Blazing fun Arrow after that. There's joints. a few joints on there, but yeah, it's, it has a, some it's starting to not be what I want it to be at that point as well. But anyway, we're not here to besmirch one of our favorite rappers' uh, amazing career. Um, yeah, Deception time. is such a great song, and it sort it 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 falls closer to the uh, you know here's another kind of connection, Black Star version of children's story. It's uh, basically the same story. It has right, almost right, the right, same right, right, beats. Right. Right, right, right. Um, which in the Slick Rick version of Children's Story, it's a street cautionary tale. Most Def makes it a hip hop industry radio thing. Most people think it's about Puff. He's claimed it's right. not. Um, right. It doesn't matter who it's about. There's plenty of dudes out there who were uh, kind of in this for the wrong reasons. And for sure. Yeah. Just making, yeah. making people uh, feel bad with their deals. Let me see if any uh, late breaking tweets came in. Late breaking tweets. Uh, I'll share Mark at Marcos A. Cabrera. Um, shared casuals that's how it is um, a lot of Hyro's work is about um, shaming MCs who should not be doing this yes um, and so casuals stop rapping <laughs> casuals that's how it is has the uh, anthemic you're whack and it's all your fault which was uh, <laughs> such such a great line I hope that we have casual on the program at some point so I can just like you know, praise the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, this song. I still which, have all my casual records up behind me from a, a missed attempt a couple of weeks ago. We were ready. We were in position. It's like when the team thinks they're about to win uh, game seven and they have the champagne. Yeah, exactly. All set up in a locker room. Like we had the casual records Just ready. Rolled out a promo uh, version of fear itself and had to slowly back it back out of the locker room. <laughs> Slide it back into the C-section. Oh, um uh, the homie Art Fucks at Onomar52 put a Rasco song, not the one I would have chosen. He put Time Waits for No Man. I would put okay. the Unassisted. Okay. The I Unassisted mean, is like definitive 
like you know we're from san jose as is stone stone's throw at that time and uh my world premiere rasco the unassisted a couple of joints on uh peanut butter wolves my vinyl weighs a ton record like that's what underground hip-hop was to me like it just was so great yes yeah totally epic we uh we appreciate all the bay area chime-ins um on this it's really taking me down a a fun rabbit hole oh and then uh, the to completely contradict that point i don't think we mentioned probably the most mentioned group here was black moon oh i'm sorry no that's, no it's that's fine exactly i just want right. I, I just checked yeah. my notes one last time and i was like oh man black moon is like definitive uh what i consider it like filtered baseline underground yes. hip-hop there's a whole yes. genre of like yes kind of your ditc and adjacent filtered baseline hip-hop that's so great and the lyrics are so great and the atmosphere it creates is so great yeah, and they people put uh, Buckham down, especially the remix and Gotcha Open as two, and I, I'll, I'm in. Those are definitive underground rap anthems. And it's crazy because you have uh, Black Moon again. I think fits your uh, definition of a group that was there, and they weren't gone. Like Buckshot had stuff later, but they were gone for a minute. Like you got that album, and then they had these issues with Nervous Records. Um, and we didn't hear from them again for four or five years. And so that record, um, Black Moon's first record, Into the Stage, I think you could run the whole thing. And if an Alien came down and was like, what is underground hip hop? Like, that is a whole album you could run and just be like, listen to this. Uh, Buckshot definitely tuned in on um, who should and shouldn't be rapping, what the, what the guidelines for this shit is. Also, he will shoot you. Uh, <laughs> I think he was the... Buckshot was a forerunner of rapping about rap and then rapping about shooting you, which is an interesting uh, conundrum to have. Um, so we want to thank everybody who chimed in on our Twitter at Dad by Rap Pod. We do question of the week. If I'm on my shit, we do it every week. I don't, you know, I'm sorry, Nate. Maybe question I don't of have, some weeks. I don't have 52 fly questions. What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Um, but yeah, we'll post them periodically. We thank everybody for checking in. You can also vibe with us on Instagram at dad bod rap pod. We put out episodes every freaking Thursday and sometimes on Monday, but only give ourselves half credit. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's not half the work, Nate, is it? Uh, no, it, it's actually funny uh, making something shorter, which I try to call them mini episodes. So I have like a 45. I like these to be about an hour 15. I like those to be about 45. Uh, right. It's so much more editing to make something short than it is to just talk. Right. Yeah. Right? It's so much more work, which is weird. Uh, but it's also I can do it over the weekend when I have more time. Oh, uh, OK. I don't okay. know if anyone cares about that, but that's often why it's like sometimes we'll have something that's not especially hip hoppy yeah. um, where we want to we don't want to like the, the Thursday thing is kind of reserved for the main show the way the main show is. And then on Monday, we get to spread our wings a little bit, talk about some other stuff occasionally. And sometimes it's just for interviews. We don't know how to build a segment around, but we want to sure. talk to the but person. we want you to and we want you to hear it and we want you to hear it. So yeah. it's often been kind of like people who I consider like the homie. It's like if you look back at the history of the Monday slot it's like it's like I like this person I've developed a rapport with them on online I want to talk to them in real life oh this conversation is really good let's put it out but we don't know how to put it in the show kind of so we just throw it out on Mondays and sometimes they just don't have much um, context around them they're just conversations which honestly is still the best part of the job that's what we do we bring you conversations if you listen to us on Mondays 
you are a dad bod rap pod junkie at that point <laughs> and we, we we appreciate you fucking with us um yeah you know we we have so many dope interviews coming up for you guys in this last 10 episode dash it's, it's 10 weeks until the 200th episode we have such a good guest y'all y'all don't have, even know i i saw someone who i like and respect in real life and he was like do you have something for the 200th episode i was like yeah he's like what i was like i'm not gonna tell you I'm not gonna tell you i'm not telling people if you talk about it you ruin it so yes. oh my god i'm so excited about it but i i love how we just spent a minute not talking about talking not about talking about, the, about it talking about not talking about it <laughs> but it is that good so please stay tuned and we've got dope interviews lined up between then and now so you know it's us dad bod rap pod Don't